1% of the world's population is living today under some sort of autocracy. The free world is the exception. I know that the conversation about Bitcoin, crypto, in this part of the world many times is about regulation, money laundering, but there is a flip side to this, which is how to provide financial independence, financial freedom to individuals and movements, and this should be a priority. Welcome to NatSec Tech from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Meserve. Technology can be an enabler of democracy. It can also be an enabler of autocracy. Our guest today has seen and experienced both sides of this coin. Let me introduce Leopoldo Lopez. He is a Venezuelan political leader, a pro-democracy activist, and a winner of the Sakharov Prize. In 2014, he was detained by the regime of Nicolas Maduro. Six years later, he escaped through Colombia to join his family in Spain. In exile, he advocates for democracy and freedom in Venezuela and elsewhere. Writing books and articles, and recently he launched the World Liberty Congress. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, thank you very much. So first, what is the World Liberty Congress? Well, the World Liberty Congress is uh, an alliance of democracy defenders, freedom fighters from autocratic countries. Um, it's uh, an initiative to work together, to learn from each other, and also to support the idea of transitioning to democracy uh, from autocratic regimes. When you think about democracy and the discussion, the global discussion about democracy, sometimes it fades from uh, the places where democracy needs to be improved. Um, and we are concerned about how to transition from autocracy to democracy. And 70% of the world's population is living today under some sort of autocracy. Uh, the free world is the exception. Um, the places in the world where people are free are the minority. So we are creating this alliance in order to work together to support each other. This is something that is uh, new. There was uh, no alliance of this sort before we started the Liberty Congress. We had our first event last year in Lithuania where we gathered uh, 180 leaders from 44 autocratic countries. And we will have our second event this year with uh, more activists and more countries represented. Have you set objectives and goals for this organization? Yes, it's an action-oriented, non-ideological alliance. Um, it's not about left or right, conservative, liberals. It's more vital, more, more basic. It's about autocracy, democracy, tyranny, liberty. Uh, and we are also an action-oriented initiative. So we identified very concrete uh, action um, um, ways to go forward. One of them uh, we call the Freedom Academy. It's about giving training, support to grassroots movements in movement building, uh, civil resistance, nonviolent action, effective communication. And this year we had already two events, one in Africa, in Zambia, where we gathered over 100 activists from 19 African countries. And just last week, we had um, the event of Latin America, where we had uh, activists from Bolivia, Nicaragua, Venezuela, and Cuba, which are the four autocratic regimes in the Western Hemisphere. You have uh, talked about an autocratic network. Who are the members of this autocratic network? Well, the autocratic network is the alliance of very mighty uh, powers that are autocratic. It's a non-ideological alliance. It's very obvious, but uh, sometimes it's not understood as a network. We're talking about the alliance between China, Russia, Iran, uh, and many other countries that are supporting each other. And this is something that all of the activists, leaders 
from autocratic regimes recognize that we are not only fighting against our own autocrat, we are fighting also against these very mighty powers. In the case of Venezuela, my home country, it's very obvious. Uh, Maduro, a couple of days ago, was in China. Uh, Lavrov was in Venezuela mm, two months ago. The president of Iran was also in Venezuela uh, some weeks ago. So it's very, very obvious to us um, that this network is at play. It's non-ideological, this network, because you are seeing the Russian nationalists with the conservative Iranians, with the communists from China, working together, supporting each other in many different ways. Diplomatically, they provide finance, they provide um, uh, support in their own communications, uh, diplomatic support at the level of the UN and elsewhere. And they're learning from one another. They are learning from one another, they are supporting, and unfortunately, they are winning. Uh, they are winning in the sense that the world is much less democratic today than it was at the turn of the century. Uh, for 18 consecutive years, we have seen a decline in uh, global democracy, and we have seen the contrary, a rise in uh, global autocracy. So we need the um, understanding of the free world that this conflict is at play. It's not a matter of choosing to play or not uh, this, this conflict between autocracy and democracy, because it's already at play. It's a matter of how we do it, how we support. And our claim is that we are the people who are putting face, putting our chest, we are putting our freedom at risk. And what we are asking for from the free world is support. Uh, support to the people who are in the ground, support to the people who are in, in exile to fight against uh, the autocratic regimes. And you're not getting that now? Not, not to the level that we need, uh, certainly not. Uh, and certainly not to the level that the autocratic regimes are getting support from uh, mighty autocratic powers. Again, I can talk about my own uh, experience in Venezuela. We have seen how Maduro is getting financial support from China, getting uh, military intelligence support from Russia, getting energy support from Iran, uh, getting diplomatic support from all of these countries. And the type of support we get, it's nominal. It's um, most of the time diplomatic support. It's a statement. It's uh, we stand by the people of Venezuela or by the people of any other country. And in actual terms, um, it's a very asymmetric uh, contest between the democracy defenders and the autocracy. So what specifically do you want from the world's democracies? Money, technology, intelligence? What is it? All of the above. I mean, because this is a fight that requires uh, all of that. And, but primarily what we want is the recognition that most of the people in the world want to be free. I, I just said that 70% of the world population is living under autocracy. Uh, however, polling shows, and when we saw that polling in Copenhagen where we met, uh, that 80% of the people want to live in an open and free society. So what we are asking for is to provide effective support to these democracy movements inside autocratic regimes. I'd love to talk about how autocracies are leveraging technology to further their ends. We've heard the stories about China using facial recognition against the Uyghurs as one example. What are some others you can give me? Well, um, AI certainly is it's, uh, one of the, the newest use of uh, technology for autocrats. We have seen that uh, all over the world, how autocrats are really using AI um, of course, all of the surveillance technology, facial recognition is just one of them, but we are seeing more and more 
control of large amounts of, of people, huge populations, uh, with the use of technology. So it's not true that technology by itself is a path to freedom or a path to democracy. In fact, what we are seeing today is that technology is uh, providing a lot of support to autocratic regimes to control populations and to make them more vulnerable and more dependent on the autocratic regimes. However, there is uh, a flip side to that. I believe that technology can provide uh, great support to these movements. And I think the, the, the basic idea is how can technology provide independence to individuals within autocratic regimes? And I'll give you some examples. Uh, access to internet through VPNs, that, that's, that's one example. Uh, access to financial tools, so individuals can be more independent. They can get resources from their peers, their families that are living abroad, um, or they can go around the restrictions of the financial systems of autocratic regimes. Um, communications, we have all been victims of the manipulation of communication in mainstream media, but also in social media. And so talking about that for just a moment, generative AI is coming to the fore. It's going to produce even better um, deep fakes as an example. Do you anticipate that, that that is going to be employed or is being employed by autocracies to further quash democratic movements? Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, we have already seen it. I myself and many of the people in the network of the World Liberty Congress, we have been victims of the use of technology, communications, and just might power um, in order to uh, crush the credibility, uh, the integrity of the people who are in the front lines in, in the struggle for freedom. And I have seen individuals really crumble uh, because of these attacks. Um, and it's, it's very cruel, especially against women activists, because they use uh, all of these deep fakes and manipulation to go into their private lives, to create um, well, very, very negative stories about activists. And in the end, people, if they don't have an alternative story, they can end up believing and crushing the credibility and the capacity of these leaders. So yes, this is already happening. So we're all producing data all the time when we use our phones, for instance. Um, is that data being collected and analyzed in a way that is detrimental to democracy movements? Um, I, I'm not an expert in, in, in that and, and in the ways that, it, that it's being used. Uh, however, I think that all of that data can also be used in order to think about what can we do in order to give people more independence uh, and more confidence in the struggle for, for freedom. So we think about the big technological powers, China in particular, Iran, Russia to some degree, but they're now exporting that to other parts of the world, right? We're seeing some of these technology used for repression in African countries, as an example. Am I right? Yes, we, we have seen that in Africa, in Asia, in, in, in Latin America. Uh, and uh, the, the, the real challenge is, again, how to use technology. And I think the big tech needs, needs to come into this conversation because big tech many times presents themselves as uh, aseptic, you know, that they are only about tech. No, tech uh, has positioning. And I have seen in Venezuela, in Iran, and in many other places how big tech, in order not to compromise their presence in these countries, they end up being um, censoring 
uh, many of the voices from activists. We have seen this from many of the big tech companies. And, and of course, I think that they need to come into the conversation and assume a responsibility in, in the struggle between autocracy and democracy. They want to make money. Oh, for sure. They want to make money. And I think that the, the basic premise should be if your profit is against our freedom, well, your profits are dirty. We have seen efforts to deconstruct what we all know as the World Wide Web um, into what's been called the splinter net. How concerning is this to you? I think this is happening with the access to Internet, and it's also happening with money. Uh, you are seeing how Russia and China are trying to create their own ecosystem for financial walls around countries. And I think the concept is the same. How, what can we do? What technological tools um, can we provide to the people from those countries? And one very simple thing that we need to keep awareness uh, on the discussion of tech and, and, uh, and democracy is very basic access to internet and access to smartphones. If we don't solve that infrastructure issue, all of the apps, all of the AI, and all of these um, tools that could be provided are just theoretical. Because if you don't have access to internet or a smartphone, you basically can't use it. So I think a, a, a commitment, much in the same way that the world came together to provide a vaccine to COVID, um, we need to come together in the free world to provide free and uncensored access to internet. And this is a big game changer. And if we have that, all of the apps in all of the different areas can be accessible to the people from these countries. Without internet, it's, it's all theoretical. But is that possible in a repressive regime? Well, it's possible and technically, yes. I mean, you're seeing it with Starlink but, and, and other technological... But uh, I'm thinking about en masse distribution of smart smartphones, for example. Is that something you could actually do? That's well, I workable? think I, I think it's a problem to be solved. Uh, I mean, 2020, early 2020, there was no solution to COVID, and then you know the the best minds and institutes came together to provide the vaccine, and now we're not wearing face masks. So I think that there is a technological challenge that should be a priority of the free world. Um, talk to me a little bit more. You've touched on it, but I'd like to go more in depth into how democracy advocates are leveraging technology to promote their cause. Well, I can give you some examples. Um, we, in terms of communication, we have been forced to use VPNs uh, in order to get access to information that is censored in our countries. And we have seen this um, widespread in, in different countries and particularly in moments of um, uh, protests and, and massive protests, we saw this in Iran, we saw this in Venezuela, we've seen this in Belarus and in, and in other places uh, where technology can provide a solution to democracy defenders. Uh, another technology that I think needs to be um, at the center of the discussion is the use of cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, uh, in order to provide access to financing and uh, provide financial independence to individuals and movements. What we have seen over the past two, three years uh, with great acceleration all over the autocratic world are laws that are being passed in order to crush NGOs and movements in make them illegal uh, and forbid them to use the financial system within the autocratic regime. However, cryptocurrency allows you to uh, have access to funds uh, and to exchange funds uh, within a country. And we had 
uh, a very concrete experience in the case of Venezuela. It was 2020. Um, there were some funds that were freezed by the U.S. government. Uh, and we came up with a project in order to provide direct assistance to medical doctors and nurses. And this needed to be a massive program in order to be effective. So we were able to identify, register uh, 85,000 medical doctors and nurses. And we worked with the U.S. government to get a license that was approved by Treasury and OFAC to use a stable coin in order to provide that direct assistance. So for months, we were providing $100 in direct cash transfer to medical doctors and nurses whose salary was $3 and $5. Um, so this was a big game changer. It had a big impact for the people. It had a big impact for dealing with COVID. And it had a big political impact because the nurses, the doctors, and the people knew that this was not coming from the regime, but it was coming from the democratic forces. So the crypto allows you to circumvent uh, a dictatorial government's financial system, essentially. Yes, and it, it, and it allows for independence to individuals and movements not to be dependent uh, on the restrictions imposed by the autocratic regimes. And I think that this is something that needs to be uh, taken very seriously as an alternative for all of the organizations that provide democratic assistance to autocratic countries. The NED, uh, the European Endowment for Democracy, and many others spend a lot of their resources trying to figure out how to bring resources to these countries. And, and they, they go around different ways of doing it, but it's very costly, uh, it's very uh, dangerous at times, and this can provide a very quick, transparent, efficient solution to providing support to these individuals and movements. Is it catching on, or is it still a rarity that you see it used? It's catching on. Uh, it's catching on. Um, I don't think it's it's uh, it's uh, it, it's more of a grassroots catching on uh, type of process. Uh, but I think we need to accelerate, uh, and I think for that. Um, the, the free world needs to come together and think of this. I know that the conversation about Bitcoin, crypto, in this part of the world many times is about regulation, money laundering, uh, and, 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 and all of this. But there is a flip side to this, which is how to provide financial independence, financial freedom to individuals and movements. And this should be a priority. With all these technologies, there seems to be a flip side. Well, there is, there is, and we try. We, we need to find, you know, the positive flip side to this because, as we have heard, you know, technology is happening and it will continue to unroll. That's something that cannot be stopped. You cannot stop AI. You cannot stop crypto. You cannot stop, you know, many of these innovations. What we can do is channel all of these efforts in in the right way. And I believe that one of the critical challenges that we have is how to make freedom investable how to make many of these initiatives um, that provide independence to individuals within autocratic regimes, um, uh, that it's uh, an initiative that can be uh, profitable. Because in, if, if that's the case, we will have the resources, the brain power that is necessary in order to, um, to confront this, this autocratic uh, expansion. One of the things that I know you've heard, because I've heard it, um, is that democracy needs to deliver for its citizens um, to uh, hopefully prevent further erosion. Um, are democratic governments, in your opinion, using technology effectively to deliver to their own citizens? 
Well, it's it's a different discussion. Um, it is. It is. Uh, uh, I mean, I, I'm more concentrated in what we do in order to transition from autocratic regimes to democracy. Uh, however, when we talk about democracy, it's, it's, it's very common that we focus the discussion in how to make democracy better. And, exactly. and, and I believe that that is crucial because if democracy doesn't deliver, people won't support democracy. And, and that's very simple. So there needs to be a lot of effort in democratic countries, in weak democratic countries, in order to make democracy deliver, to make it more effective. But the situation for people from autocratic regimes is uh, it's, it's different because we are not struggling for democracy to deliver because we don't have democracy. We are struggling to transition to democracy. And this is a conflict. And we need to understand this. I mean, because the people who are in power, they don't want to let the power go. So the people, the free people, the people who want to transition to democracy are willing to take risks. And these are the people, the movements that require uh, the right level of support. Shot in the dark here. Are there technology companies that are working directly with you and other democracy advocates to create the kinds of tools that you need? We've done some outreach uh, with some of uh, the different companies, uh, some big tech, some more in the, at, at the venture level. So yes, I mean, we have been uh, engaged in different conversations about how to use technology. Um, I mentioned the Freedom Academy initiative that we have, and we are using financial freedom technology. We're using Bitcoin. Uh, we are teaching about the benefits of, uh, of this technology for these movements, and we are getting support from different initiatives that are thinking about this problem, not from the perspective of the U.S. and Europe. I'll give you an example. Last week, we were having this discussion. We had a couple of people from tech initiatives that were with us, and they came to a very obvious conclusion. That was, well, if there is no access to internet, what can we do? So they are thinking of ways to use these tools without the, the, the type of access to internet that they have in Europe, in the U.S., and in the global north, to put it in a way. So, yes, we are working, but we need more. And we need the big tech to have a commitment to democracy and freedom. That, that is crucial because if these big tech companies remain aseptic and they, be, they, they, they remain neutral to this conflict, well, chances are that they will be catering to the interests of autocratic regimes. So taking out the lens, as you've mentioned, Freedom House has documented the retreat of democracy, that 70% of the world's population now lives in autocracy. How do we reverse the trend? Well, I think uh, to reverse the trend, first you need the will uh, of the free world to want to reverse the trend. So um, this requires a coming together of the free world um, to recognize that this is the global struggle of our times, democracy versus uh, autocracy. And I believe that the priority should be in how to support democratic movements that are inside uh, autocratic regimes. And I can tell you from my own experience that many times there is support uh, for the things that we don't need and there is no support for the things that we need. Um, Give so, me an example. Well, I can give you an example, you know, uh, just support for, you know, there are, they can be funding for, um, uh, I, I, I don't know, just um, community building uh, in, 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 in a country uh, that is autocratic, but they uh, remain aseptic of the political commitment to make that building a grassroots movement towards democracy. 
um, we need to uh, get a lot more support uh, for training, for uh, capacity building, for all of these movements. So, um, and it needs to be uh, also very uh, simple to, to have the access. Many times the access to resources comes with a very heavy load of bureaucratic engagement. So you have a lot of these movements more concerned and spending most of their time in, in the bureaucratic issues uh, uh, than in doing the, the effective uh, impact uh, of their time. So can you leave us with an optimistic, hopeful thought? No, absolutely. I mean, I, I hope that this conversation was not pessimistic. I mean, I, I hope that the people who are listening understand that there are people all over the world, millions and millions of people all over the world that today are not free and want to be free. And, and I think that, that that is a reality that we have today and we will continue to have. So it's optimistic in the sense that most of the people in the planet want to be free. But we need to come together. We need to figure out ways in which we support each other. And the free world needs to understand that the priority in supporting these local movements uh, should be uh, part of the entire strategic approach to the confrontation between autocracy and democracy. Leopoldo Lopez, Venezuelan political leader and pro-democracy advocate. Thanks a lot for joining Thank us Thank you very much. Today. Thank you. This has been NADSEC Tech from the Special Competitive Studies Project. I'm Jean Mazur. Thanks for joining.